Well, good morning. Good morning. How, how, um, how wonderful was that worship set? I mean, the presence of God was very generous and kind, and, and that's who he is. He's generous and kind, and isn't it interesting that he's, um, you know, when I was worshipping in there, I just had this overwhelming sense of his kindness, God's kindness. And you know what Romans talks about, Paul writes in Romans how it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Now, you know, don't hear that as God's being kind to you in this moment and he's overlooking your naughtiness. That's not what he's saying. His kindness, Paul is saying, leads us into a place of having our mind completely turned around with an understanding that our God loves us and he's good to us and that he's faithful and he's kind and he's generous to generation after generation, he's merciful and that he's deeply interested in, in healing our life and bringing his kingdom to bear on it. That's what his kindness leads us to. It leads us into his kingdom. It leads us into the power of his kingdom doesn't lead us into a morose place of, oh, I'm such a poor sinner, whip me, beat me, I'm, I'm, a, a, I'm not worth loving. His kindness leads to repentance, leads us into the rule and reign of Jesus. Have you thought about that? His kindness leads you somewhere. It leads us into the rule and reign of his generous son, Jesus. And what are Jesus' words on the cross? Forgive him, Father. Forgive him, Dad. He made complete restitution. He made it all. He paid it all. He, 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 he fixed the gap. He, broke, he over, overcame the divide. He, he restored the relationship. His kindness is manifest right there on the cross and then over the grave. His kindness over the grave. Our God is kind. Our God is kind. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is kind and leads us into repentance, his generous rule and reign as king. Isn't God good? He does it all. He visits us with Him, who he is. I was just overwhelmed. I had to just kind of lie down on my face for a while there. It was just his kindness was overwhelming me. And I was just having to lie there on the floor and put my hands out like this and say, Father, here's all of my life. Here's everything that you've asked me to be interested in, responsible for, concerned about. About me and my, my family, my, my marriage, my workplace, my, my region and my nation. Here, here is everything that you've... you've and, and I just want you to know... I give it all back to you. So kind are you, Lord, that you would carry all of that for me and invite me to walk life with your son, Jesus. Because his burden is not heavy. Not heavy. Not heavy. Not heavy. But his burden is light. It's because it's the friendship of Christ. His kindness leads us to somewhere, to repentance, into the reality of Jesus. This morning we're going to get stuck into a little bit of that 
biblical truth. And, and then, we, you know, I have a very strong sense that the Holy Spirit wants to move with power this morning as we, as we spend time um, ministering uh, in his presence to each other. But just before we do that, just a couple of quick announcements, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, all right, let's, let's pray. Father, uh, your, your generosity and your kindness is already in this room and your spirit is uh, just moving amongst us and we say thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here. We, talk, we do want to just take a, a moment to say we love you, Holy Spirit. We love how you come and reveal Jesus and to us and you shower us with the the power of your presence and all of the manifest gifting that you bring. We, we just, we love you, Holy Spirit. We want to say thank you that you're among us. And, um, so would you lead us into Jesus this morning? And as, as you do, Holy Spirit, um, we ask that you would release your gifts into the body that we might minister to each other the reality of your kingdom, God. Bless us as we spend some time in the Bible. Right now we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. This morning I want to just take um, a little bit of time to talk to you all about the idea of identity resurrection. We are in the season of celebrating the resurrected Jesus. The once was dead but now is alive Jesus, who now rules and reigns in the heavens, the one who's alive and making himself known and revealing himself. Um, we want to talk about how the living Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, impacts our understanding of who we are. Now, I've never actually been in this situation um, where... Uh, um, you know, um, say for example, uh, a, a few years back, we had that incredible amount of rain that hit Brisbane. And you remember the time the dams were full. And that rain came and, and the, the, it just happened at the same time that the, the, the full king tide was coming in and up the Brisbane River and it swelled and everything kind of all met and then it was just this big over, there's this breach, all the banks got breached and everything just spilt over and um, I, I forget how many, how many thousands of people's homes just got inundated with, with the water that flooded out of the Brisbane River. You may remember that. You may remember the Pine River Bridge down here got completely devastated and it's taken a number of years to rebuild um, well, a number of people in that situation had insurance and a number of people didn't have insurance. But the concept that I want us to, to, to kind of grab is that for those people that did have insurance, for many of them, they had um, a policy, what they call new for old. New for old. So their they pay their insurance and the idea is that if their property is completely damaged and beyond repair, what they do is they, the insurance company comes along and they give that, that, that people or that family or circumstance money to completely replace the old with a brand new item of similar um, you know, nature and cost. 
So it's not like the insurance, money gives, the insurance company gives the money to restore or repair or renew what was damaged. No, it's a complete... No, discard the old and you can now go out and get a completely new item. Now, um, some of you may be in, have been in a car accident where your car insurance company has come along and said, that is beyond repair. So we're now giving you money to completely get a brand new vehicle. Um, new for old. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in his resurrection from the grave, he is completely, he's acting on behalf of the Father's will, the Father's love in the earth. He is taking humanity or people as we know it, in all of its brokenness, and he's burying it in the ground. And he is, by way of his death and burial, he is taking Adam or people or humanity as we know it, burying it in the ground. And on the third day, rose again, not as the old man, but as a completely new person. He is establishing in the earth that there is now a new for old policy and it comes from the heart of God. And it's not the old is resuscitated. It is a completely reconstituted new humanity that stands there resurrected. Jesus walks through doors. Jesus, the resurrected one. He still bears the scars of the old humanity in his hands and his feet. But he brings to life what Paul refers to as the second Adam, the new Adam, the new creation, the new way that people can relate to God. And so, like we spoke about last week, um, we spoke about how when Jesus died, he died our death. When Jesus was buried, he, 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 he buried us. And by faith, as he was resurrected, so too we can now, new for old, come into a whole new way of understanding our life, relationship with God, relationship with the spiritual audience with which we do battle every day. New for old. Now some of us, and me included, it's taken me quite a while to get my head around, my heart around, and my actions actually in agreement with the fact that I'm a new creation in Christ. It's taken me a while to figure out that, you know what, when someone's with me and they're sick or their body is in pain, I, as a resurrected follower of Jesus Christ, have been given complete authority in the rule and reign of God to address that circumstance and tell that sickness and that pain, enough. Get off them. Move away. And command that body to be healed in the name of Jesus. It's taken me a while to figure out and learn to live in the new me in Jesus. It's taken me a while to realize that 
you know, when Jesus was confronted with material circumstances of, you know, there's a big crowd in front of me today and we've only got a few bits of bread and a few fish. How are we going to do this? It's taken me a while to realize, well, we do it like Jesus does. We address our material and circumstantial issues with the generosity of the Father's kingdom. Well, what does Jesus do? Jesus appeals to his Father in heaven. Gives thanks for what he has and then distributes it freely. And there's always copious amounts left over. You know, you guys, you've got, to you've got to hear something really radical and cool. Is Nikki here? To, I, I thought I saw one of... Oh, she might be in with the kids next door. Um, but Nikki, who facilitates the, um, uh, the mercy ministry down the, the end of the building here, you know, you know we, ran, we, we, we ran out of money in January. Completely ran out of money. We had spent every cent that we had uh, to be able to continue to feed the poor in January. And yet somehow, the door remains open. And if you watch anything online, of, of, you know, if you're a part of the, 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 the Facebook group of the Vineyard Mercy Centre, you will see these incredible, ad, you know, like declarations and proclamations. Yesterday, they had so much food. They were screaming it to the world, saying, come and get it. There's way too much here. We need to, get rid we need to give this away. And from January to now, $10,000 has come into that bank account from outside of the fellowship of believers. Hello? Hello? This is, this, is our, this is how our God does things. This is how we do things. We don't... We don't count and measure. We lean into the new for old. We lean into the victorious work of Jesus, resurrected. doesn't matter what circumstance says. doesn't matter what confronts. And the same goes with our identity. New for old replacement is what happens when we say yes to Jesus. It just takes us a while to learn to walk in the new. For example, every summer um, you will see and note that I wear a lot of footwear that's very open, um, if I wear footwear at all. And, um, you know, if I wear these um, thongs or sandals for a few months, usually for th a good three months or more every year. And what tends to happen, uh, it may just be an age thing or something, I don't know. But what tends to happen is the arches of my feet begin to, like, fall down and flatten out if I wear them for a couple of months. And then when the weather starts to get cool, what I do is I go and put my, my shoes that I do have. I do have shoes. I, I put my shoes on, and those shoes are made to support the arches of your feet. And then for the first week or so of putting those shoes back on, my feet hurt like heck. They just like, oh, they just hurt because my feet are being brought back into line with healthy feet, what healthy feet are meant to look like to be able to carry your body around. But it just hurts for a while. And it just, you know, the, the foot needs to be brought back into line. 
with hell. That's the same in our relationship with Jesus. It just takes us a while. You know what? We're putting on new shoes in this identity, this understanding of who I am in the mystery and the power of the resurrected Christ, the Son of God. He's, he's gripped my life. He's overwhelmed me. And I've said, my life for your life. And it just takes a while for our flesh and thinking and everything else just to come into line with that reality of new for old. New for old. When it comes to the resurrection, I think that we need to learn uh, the established realities of what Jesus has done. But it's always, always in the context of a full-blown battle. Always. I remember when um, I first gave my life to Christ and in my workplace, my, uh, my workmates and, and uh, my bosses and uh, everything, you know, I, I had a particular way of living. I, I, I made some real dumb choices, really selfish, fueled, you know, choices. I just, you know, I, people are there for me and my pleasure and my... my benefit, you know, and, and I, and I kind of pressed that accelerator for, for as much as it would give me. You know, I was, I, like I mentioned last week, I was a pretty self, selfish upstart, fairly focused human being on my own well-being. <laughs> and, and then, so this is how these people knew me, and I'd worked with them, and they knew me like this. And then I have this incredible encounter with the living Jesus, he completely and radically meets me. Some of, many of you have heard my story where he quite literally, in my encounter with the living Jesus, quite literally reached into my chest cavity and pulled out my heart and held it before me. And he held it and he blasted it with his love. I mean, like... Um, like a fight, you've been, you've been stung with a high-pressure hose before on your skin. I mean, it's not pleasant if you've accidentally been high-pressuring something and you hit your toe. It's like, yo, man, that hurts. Well, he did that with my heart. And I was a blithering mess. Tears and pain, it was all going on. But by the time he was finished after a half an hour or so, there before me, he held a brand new heart, completely radically transformed by Jesus' love. And he put it back in my chest. And then he took a soldering iron out of an old, you know, the old-style old soldering irons with the big head on them out of the fire, and he just began to seal my heart back into me. And with that, the work of his love. Quite literally for me, the next day, it, it, it was different. Something had been so dramatically transformed in me, it was different. So when it came to my workplace, and all of a sudden, Friday night I'm like this, but then come Monday at work I'm this, my workplace didn't know what to do with me. 
And I just told them what had happened. I just told my workmates what had happened when they said, let's just do what we always do this week. And I said, well, I, you know, I, there's something about what we did. I just, I can't do that anymore. Why not? Well, here's why. And I told them. And they just go, oh, Delaney, you're full of, uh, you're full of that. You're full of it, Delaney. No one changes like that. Don't be such a, and come on, let's do what we always do. But there was such a, a, a complete recreation of who I was, the new reality of who I was in Jesus that said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even have a like, taste for that anymore. I, you know, in fact, as I'm looking at you, you know, the way I look at you is different. It just takes us a while to begin to walk in the reality of who we are. And it's always in the context of battle. Always in the context of, ah, you're full of it. Stop being such a... And you don't change like that. You don't fool us. Always. And that voice will come at you through work colleagues. May come through a spouse. May even come through your family line. And it will always come out of the atmosphere. Saying, don't be so stupid. Don't be, that's, that's rot. You will never change. That's the context in which our new identity, the new you, brings glory to God. Always in that context. Hey, Bruce, can you come up? I've asked Bruce to come and read the Bible to us. If you've got your Bible there, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Um, that's, uh, uh, where's uh, sound? Is that right? That one's right? Excellent. So Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. Thanks, Bruce. Hello. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. It is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thanks, Bruce. Great piece of scripture. JB, John taught out of this scripture uh, just a few weeks back. Um, but there is a new for old policy that's taking place in that reading of a, the opportunity to exchange who we once were and to be 
raised up with Jesus. So in Jesus coming up out of the grave, he's, he's, he's drawing, you can almost, he's drawing unto himself and in the wake. If anyone had been like skiing behind a boat, you know how a boat leaves a wake? It's like there's this wake, there's this reality of as Jesus comes up out of the grave, there's this wake that, 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 that vibrates back into the earth. And into the reality of that wake, he's drawing people up into himself. It's the love of God exerting himself in Christ, raising people up into himself. And isn't that a wonderful work that God has done for us? Isn't that completely wonderful? If you've ever been water skiing, and I used to do heaps of it as a teenager. I used to do loads of it, and I love it, and I often fondly think on that season of my life. And, but it's the boat up front that does all the pulling. It's the engine up there that does all the pulling, does all the hard work. I just get the benefits, and if you do water ski, there is a trick to it. You actually have to lean back. And allow that motor up there, that boat, to do all the work. As soon as you try to do the work, you will come off. You have to lean into and relax into the power that is taking you along. And this is what God has done with us in Jesus coming alive. He has raised us up. And the only way that we get to participate in that resurrection is we need to lean back into and enjoy the benefits of what God is doing for us as he's drawing us on into himself. See, all the hard work is on God's end. He just asks us to trust him. Asks us to trust that, don't worry, my engine will lift you up out of the water. My engine will we'll, we'll pull you along. I've got enough power in what I'm doing to get you to where we're going. It's a very simple analogy. It's a very simple word picture. But it's a true one. And as soon as you try to fight with that power, that love of God, that incomparable mercy and richness and kindness of God, you will inevitably fall off. Not lose your salvation, but he'll come around like all good people do, boat people do. He'll come around again and give you the line and say, now let's go again. You've got to learn to ski. You've got to learn to walk it out. Such is his love. He's raised you up. He's raising you up. And you will be raised up. God is good. But the implication is, when we are new, our thinking does get changed. Our relationships do get impacted. I mean, um, our workplaces. Now, remember, it's in the context of conflict that this is going on. It's not in the context of, I'm just going to, you know, this is like lying by a pool. This is, I've been conscripted into Jesus' conquering of the prince of this air, the enemy. That's where the being raised up takes place, in the context of conflict. So it's not a holiday, it's a battle. And you've been drawn into the front line of it, of Jesus, changing 
who you are and your workplaces and your families and family line and in the way you understand your finances and the issues of stewardship and in response to issues of of local and global poverty and into the issues of, um, you know, local issues of our community of homelessness and domestic violence. God has called us into what he is doing in saving people in that context. And we will always get, ah, don't be silly, don't carry on, just shut up and be quiet all the time. It doesn't stop, does it? There's a scripture in Revelations and in John, Revelations 12.10, talks about how the accuser of the people of Jesus or the enemy of God in in Revelations 12 says this. Let me get it. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Now, there's a declaration there that the enemy's work has been broken. The neck of it's been broken. But look at the nature of his work. How often does it happen? Night and day, and night and day, and night and day, and night and day. Are you getting it? This is, this is what he is about. And his commodity is condemnation and guilt and shame to hold people in prison, to not let them come up out of the grave and into the resurrection of Christ. And guess where he does it? If you read Revelations there, he does it where? He does it in the presence of God. In other words, picture, if you will, the heavenly courts or the heavenly throne rooms. The the scriptures talk about how our father, he sits on this wonderful throne and his son beside him. And it's in the context of that very place that the enemy is going, that person, they're rubbish. Your work in them stinks. It's nothing. Did you see what they got up to last night? Did you you see how they continue to give their flesh to their addictions and their petty needs? Pathetic. Your work on the cross and over the grave comes to nothing. This is what the enemy is about. He is after the destruction of the glory of God through Jesus. He does not want the fame of Jesus in the earth. And so he's constantly testing the security of who the Father is. That's why whenever you and I have some moment of victory in us coming into the new you, it will always get tested. Always, because he ain't, not because God wants to put you through a trial. No, he's raising you up. The one who brings the trial is the accuser. The one who, 
swirls the atmosphere and establishes context because he does have power to forces, bring demonic forces against us. It's him. It's him because he wants to let God know, you stink, God. Your power's nothing. I've got it all. It's been given to me. They gave it to me in the garden. They're still giving it to me. I'm the one that they're all going to bow down and worship one day. That's what the enemy is doing. And he does it to the Father, and he does it to you and me. Just because we have been saved or we have chosen to follow Jesus Christ does not absolve us from the war. Am I alone in this? I thought not. His activity is relentless, and he will put the megaphone to his mouth and threaten to tell the world of our sin. But praise God for the advocate, for the advocate, for the one who advocates on our behalf, for the one who, who stands there in our defense, for the, for the new human being, Jesus, the resurrected king, the new man. He stands there in the presence of the Father, and he's the one that has the last word. He has the last say. Father, don't listen to him. It's rot. He knows he's defeated. Father, when you look at your kids, just look at me. See them through what I've done and our great love plan to set them free. Don't hold anything against them because I took it all. He advocates. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a court setting a legal court setting. Um, but I have, and they're not very friendly, and they're not um, warm places. But there's a prosecutor, and, and, and there's an advocate. There's one who's in the courtroom trying to prosecute the case that that person is guilty, guilty, guilty. And there is an advocate or a defender, a defense that stands there and says, that is not so, Your Honour. And here is the defense. And that's what goes on in this legal outplaying of spiritual dynamics, is that the enemy continues to go guilty, 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 but for those who have trusted themselves into the love of God in Jesus, Jesus stands before the Father and says, Father, that's nonsense. Just look at me and you'll see them. And the proclamation that comes from God is forgiven, free, no condemnation, delivered, set free, healed, resurrected, new you. This is the, the, the dynamic that's playing here. Paul says in Romans 8.34, who is he that condemns? Because there's actually been a, trans, a, a, a transaction take place where no longer does the enemy actually even have the power to condemn. That's just his nature. It's actually Jesus who's been given all authority in heaven and earth to be able to condemn. 
Who is it that condemns Christ Jesus, who died? More than that, was raised to life and is at the right hand of God advocating for us who believe. Advocating all the time. Advocating. But if anyone does sin, John writes in 1, 1 John 2, 1, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is amazing. I love Jesus. Jesus makes me look good. I mean, I know you think I look good, but I need to let you know it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He makes me look good. He, he, he empowers me to be able to go into all, sort, all manner and all sorts of both difficult and, and, and trying personal and corporate circumstances in life. And it's Jesus. He gives you this capacity to walk in who I am in that moment. You know, I was just sharing with a friend here uh, in the coffee break that in their workplace environment, just this last few weeks, it's just been like through all these different employee, you know, people, work colleagues, there's just been this barrage of you're in the wrong job, you're, you're too loud, you're the wrong person for this place, you, you no good, you no good, you no good, you no good, you no good. And the person was left there stumped. Well, this, but this is who I am. New, and they're a new follower of Jesus, and they've been walking in their environment saying, Lord, let your kingdom come, and look what happens. You no good, you no good, you no good, you no good. But God has since set them into a path of freedom, out from the midst of that and into all that he has for them. He's honoring their love for him. The enemy of God is a constant, relentless accuser. But he doesn't have the final word. The advocate, Jesus, he is the security and the strength of God's love manifested in resurrection power, constantly declaring, forgiven, free, new. Jesus' atoning sacrifice for all of us is not just for you and me, but he's done it for the whole world. The whole world. The whole world is dying for an opportunity to do it differently. And Jesus has made a way. Jesus is our advocate. He is our authority. By defeating death, he's established by his work and his word that our life manifests the final declaration to, God, to the world that God is good. Go back and read that Ephesians 2 scripture that we are his workmanship. That at the end of the day, people will just like... like, um, like uh, Woody, can you just come, just stand here for me, mate? Chris, just stand here for me, right here. That at the end of the day, the workmanship of God in Christ will go, look at that! That is Chris Woodrow. This guy has got so much of Jesus on him, through him, around him. People's lives are being transformed by the Jesus that's just pouring out through this dude. God, I tell you, there's a God in the earth. Look at this guy. There is a God in you. And what do you do when someone gets like lifted up? And What do they do at the footy and places like that? They hand them the trophy. What does everyone do? Woo! What do they do? What do they do? They cheer and they go, man, look at this. Thanks, bro. I've, I've... <laughs> but that's what God's doing. 
He's, dis- he's displaying the, just the magnificence of the resurrection power of his son, Jesus Christ, into an atmosphere and an audience that's constantly saying, rubbish, rot, stop it, that's crap. And he's saying, no, it's not. They're forgiven. They're free. I've established it once and for all. They're not living for themselves anymore. They're living for my glory. They're serving a greater power than their own needs. The new you, resurrection identity. The battleground. We just, um, I'm just going to finish with this illustration. We just, this week, had a, 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 you know, an amazing time of remembering and giving thanks for all of um, the servicemen and women who, uh, in, in, uh, in and over time, who have served at their own expense. I was amazed. I was listening to a documentary this week that at the time, oh, no, it wasn't. It was, I was listening to um, the Prime Minister's address in Canberra, and he said, at the time when we went to war in World War I, we were a nation of five million people. And out of five million people, 500,000 people went to war. That's huge. On foreign soil. 500,000 out of 5 million. What's that as a ratio? 10%? Wow, there's a funny number. 10%. 10% of the nation's people sacrificed themselves, their family, their personal comfort, and their well-being to go and serve a greater good. Now, out of that 500,000, I think about 220,000 or 270,000, I can't quite remember the numbers, actually died and paid with their life. Less than about half came home. Incredible sacrifice. Well, I just want to finish with this illustration. This is our context. Um, and I, 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 do, I want to just go back to, uh, I want to go to World War II. On June the 6th, 1944, the Allied forces stormed Normandy. And as they did, they say that it was that particular day, on June the 6th, 1944, that the victory was established into that context of war. All of the forces were mobilised for June 6, 1944, and they all zeroed in and landed on Normandy. Now, there was a lot of bloodshed, there was a lot of people lost their lives. But they say that that was the day the battle was won. And they call it D-Day. D-Day. You've heard the term. D-Day. That's how they got the term. It was that day that the defeat of the enemy happened in that context. It was, so that was June 6, 1944. It was not until May the 8th, 1945, nearly 12 months later, that there was unconditional surrender to the Allied forces. So it was near 12 months from the day that they stormed and they say victory happened to the day that there was unconditional surrender and there was peace in the land. This is what it's like in the kingdom of God. 
This is where we're living. Jesus has stormed the work of the enemy. And he has driven into the earth his flag of ownership. He, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and all of the angelic forces mobilized their campaign on that day. And they drove it into the earth once and for all very deep. And the scriptures tell us, though he defeated the enemy on that day, there is still yet to come the unconditional surrender of the enemy, if you read the book. And we, the people of Jesus, live in between the tension of those two experiences. But Jesus says to his disciples, when you pray... When you do this thing called the kingdom, do it like I do. Like that day has already happened because it has and yet it's still to come. And so we find ourselves in the context of battle. We live in the tension of that place of great victory and yet great battle because the enemy, he doesn't, he's... His neck is broken, his power is curbed, but the the fullness of the kingdom in all its manifest completeness and the earth is to be restored and renewed and all things made right. We still live as that day is nearer and breaking in upon us. And so we find ourselves in this yes and victory. I messed it. It's okay. Jesus advocates for me. He says, I'm free, I'm a new person, I choose to walk in that. At the end of the day, will we trust the advocate for his final word in who we are? Remember that beautiful story in John chapter 8. Beautiful story. John chapter 8, where the woman who is caught in um, the act of adultery. So just, not like after the fact, but like caught in it. Like it's all going on. And they busted through the doors and said, quick, out with you now. And they threw her out before Jesus in the crowd. Remember that one in John chapter 8? And the law and the legalism of the day and that religious spirit of the time was saying, guilty, guilty, guilty. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And they threw her before Jesus, hoping to trap him and to discredit him. And what does Jesus do? He bends down and he spends some time doing something in the ground with his finger, drawing or writing. We don't know what he did. It just kind of, he was doing something down there. I think he was maybe talking to the father like, what do we do here? What do we want to do here? And he stood up and he said to the accuser, that voice of accusation, he said, you who is without sin, throw the first stone. Wisdom of God in the moment. Well, the older fellows who had a bit of wisdom about them, they quickly withdrew. The younger, zealous ones, a little, took them a little longer, but then they... They also withdrew. And Jesus says to her, 
He says, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? And he says, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. Friends, will we trust in the one who has the power to condemn but chooses not to but to extend his mercy to us that we might come into the power of his resurrection and be a new creation? Will we lean back on that, that rope of his kingdom kindness that leads us to repentance? Will we trust in what he has done for us as he lifts us up and into the new you? Will we allow that shaping of his love and grace to reshape and reform and reconstitute who we, who we are? Complete new for old. New for old. Will we lean back and look into the eyes of the one who says, as far as the Father's concerned, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. And in case you do go and sin, know this. I will advocate for you every time. Such is my love for you. That his kingdom would come. Jesus' name is Lord. He is master. He is king. Let me just quickly read these words to you that came out of the uh, words of knowledge time uh, before the service. A restoration of joy through the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. That's on the Father's heart for you today. A restoration of joy. Someone struggling to see breakthrough in signs and wonders in their everyday context. The Lord wants to help you to become bold. Someone who has lower back pain and had trouble straightening uh, from being bent over, you know, like, oh, that type of uh, thing. This morning, particularly this morning, it happened this morning. Left shoulder pain, a numbness in the left shoulder. Um, the Father wants to bring hope to a hopeless situation for the things that have been weighing you down. A blockage where some are struggling to hear from God and really, they really want to hear his lead in their situation and circumstance. Some who may have sore eyes and it feels like there's a pressure buildup behind the eyes to the point where it feels like your eyes are going to pop out. Um, someone who's been with crutches, restoration for legs, you have been saying, someone who has been saying no to the Lord and you're feeling a failure and you want to say yes, but you're feeling unable to. I think that's like, that's really good, that one. Because it's an invitation. Who are you going to listen to? The accuser or the advocate? A lack of joy or a lack of Jesus in general. Let's stand and pray. Let's stand and pray. Holy Spirit, just love that you're in the room and that you just illuminate the scriptures and you bring them alive for us and you like get you get in under the skin 
I thank you that you get in under the skin and you, you begin to like just press in and release your love and your kingdom and your authority to, to just like completely make our life new. Lord, all of those words of knowledge that your Holy Spirit inspired this morning, for those that that belongs to, would you just let that rest on them right now? Holy Spirit, just grab their attention right now. Let your power come to them right now. Thank you, Father. And, and, and for those this morning, Father, that in your presence, I just pray that with the power of your Spirit, you will incline the ears of their heart to hear the voice of Jesus over the raucous lies of the enemy. <laughs> Break through with your voice, Jesus. The one who spoke creation into being. Let the breakthrough power of your voice that says, free, forgiven, delivered, not guilty. Let that breakthrough voice of yours, Jesus, come and establish the kingdom in our life. Let your kindness lead us to repentance right now right now holy spirit increase your presence just for those um thank you holy spirit for those those words of knowledge that were spoken if any of those in the room just why don't you just come up the front right now but i also want to with you i want i want to invite those that are just wanting some new resurrection identity. They want to come into the, the magnitude and the power of that, that love of Christ that raises you up. Um, now's an opportunity for that. You want to be resurrected. Why, why don't you come on out the front too? Why don't we do that right now? No fanfare or bugles. Just, why don't you just come on.